The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. I once asked a mentor friend of mine, uh, if you could have anything you want right now, what would it be? And he answered, peace of mind. And at first I kind of raised my eyebrow, peace of mind, really? You could have a new car, million dollars, so much cool stuff, and, and you want peace of mind? And he, he spoke with, with some conviction. He said, yeah, peace of mind. And so I had, to, I had to think about it for a while. And, you know, peace of mind sounds pretty darn good. You know, if I had peace of mind, I'd probably worry a lot less, wouldn't regret so much. I'd be more accepting of myself, my mortality, more accepting of, of others. Yeah, peace of mind sounds, sounds pretty darn good. And gosh, if I took all that energy and time that I put in to worry and regret and judgments and self-beratement and actually put them into something constructive, wow, I could probably create a lot of the, the other stuff that I want too. So I became convinced in that moment that, that peace of mind should always come first. But, it, but it's tricky because how, how do you get peace of mind? Someone can't just give it to you. You can't get it from a, a book or a movie. It's, to me, peace of mind isn't something that you can really receive. Peace of mind is something that has to be revealed. See, I think that peace of mind is, is always present. It's just on the bottom of the garbage heap of other thoughts that I have. But when I can nurture sacred time in my life, when I can deepen myself and get centered, it reveals itself. Peace of mind is a kind of soul awareness. Note that I say it's not an awareness of my soul. It's my soul being aware of itself. And when it's revealed, there's nothing better or stronger in our lives. Our messages last week and this week, uh, the title is Sacred Time, Finding Peace in a Busy World. Finding True Peace in a Busy World. And it's so often that we, first of all, find ourselves either experiencing or so close to experiencing burnout and overwhelm. That's one reason I wanted to talk about this topic. And the other reason is that we're sometimes so caught up in our doing that we lose track of our being, of what it means to really connect with our soul path. And my goal is not to get us again to be less busy, but to realize there's something deeper in life than just a to-do list. Because you see, a to-do list is kind of a, it's kind of a religion in itself. <laughs> right? We can get so caught up in our, our to-do list that they even kind of have their own mythology. You know, the first myth of the great to-do list is that one day when you complete it, you'll finally be at peace. I'll finally be free, happily ever after. 
When the truth is, I like how James Hillman put it. He says, I think it's the pursuit that screws up happiness. (laughs) Because once you drop the pursuit, happiness is right there. It's not until we move away and off of the to-do list that we can find true peace. The second myth of the to-do list is that if you only had more time, you'd get all the stuff on your to-do list done. When the truth is that if you had more time and were just practicing being busy, your your to-do list wouldn't get shorter. It would just get longer. Because busyness can only beget busyness. We've got to step off of the to-do list to have a greater experience of our soul. The third myth of the to-do list is that if I don't get it done, my world is going to fall apart. Oh my God, I forgot to call Kelly back. You know, we can often find this when we're trying to get back into to spiritual practice. You know, I call it, oh shoot, meditation. You can use a different word if you want. <laughs> and it's where I sit down and take some deep breaths to connect with the divine presence. And I say to myself, oh shoot, I forgot to do this yesterday. Right? I, I begin to be reminded of all the stuff that I forgot to do and all the stuff upcoming. And, and it's, a, it's an important moment because I have a choice. Am I my to-do list or am I a soul? Am I a spirit? See, for too many of us, we don't do our to-do list. Our to-do list does us. And it's a simple practice, but a meaningful one, just to have a pad of paper and a pen. If there's something I'm forgetting, I, I write it down. You know, it's okay if I forget my problems for a while. They'll probably hang out and wait for me to catch up later. I can take that time to nurture myself. The fourth myth of the to-do list is that my significance depends upon it. That my value in life is dependent upon how much I accomplish. And there could be nothing further from the truth. Because the truth is, is that my value and my significance is my birthright. It exists because I am a child of God. And if I forsake that soul within me, I'm going to get lost in my life. And I don't mean this in a, we should all uh, be given a trophy just for existing. I mean it to say that the greatest act of significance you can do in your life is to cultivate a sense of your soul and apply it to whatever is before you. I love the words of an, an ancient Zen poem, which tells us, there is really nothing you must be. And there is nothing you must do. There is really nothing you must have, and there is nothing you must become. However, it helps to understand that fire burns, and when it rains, the earth gets wet. Now, from the busy mind, you might look at that and say, what a bunch of goobly-goob, what is that supposed to mean? But perhaps the soul resonates a little when you hear that. There is nothing I must be. There really is nothing I must do. If I can rest in my I amness, if I can take solace just for a moment in the truth of my being, I would experience my wholeness in its completeness.
And I don't know about you, but my life, my ability to experience that completeness has led to every great byproduct and every great blessing in my life. So my my message today isn't to scrap your to-do list. Keep it. Be proud of it. Be busy in a mindful way. But I think we need something to counteract that to-do list as well. Something that helps us realize that we serve a different purpose than just getting stuff done, but being and thriving as a spiritual expression of life. And so one of the things that I like to do is I like to counteract my to-do list with what I'm calling today uh, a spiritual checklist. What is your spiritual checklist? Things to do each day that help keep you experiencing your life as a spiritual expression. And I intentionally ask that uh, my checklist be put on the, the back of the bulletin where we usually have notes. But I invite you to cross out what doesn't work and maybe to add one or two of your own. What's on your spiritual checklist? What's on mine? Did I intentionally care for others? Was I truly present and did I really listen? Did I do my best to choose compassion and forgive? Did I have a moment of awe? Was I grateful? And did I have fun? All key daily practices for enjoying the fullness of life. Did I intentionally care for others? For me, a lot of us are just caring in general, but the key word for me here is intentional. Yes, I was walking to a restaurant and someone was walking behind me and I held the door open for them too. That doesn't count. <laughs> you know, saying goodbye to my wife in the morning, saying, bye, love you, see you later. That, that loving salutation, that, that doesn't count either. Sweet. Honey, I love you, I'll see you later. Okay, I love you too, have a great day. No, honey, I love you. I'm so grateful for you. You mean so much to me. Intentional, conscious love. It's perhaps the greatest gift we can give anybody. This is a loving, wonderful spiritual community and our hearts often rejoice when we see see one another, but, but sometimes we don't quite get to express to folks what we what they mean to us, who they are. Some in this congregation I, I love, I know he's here. Chris Natsky, where are you, Chris? There he is, Chris Natsky, member of our safety team uh, for quite a while here. Such a wonderful guy. And Chris, I, I so appreciate you. Uh, you. Not only do you keep us safe, but you just uplift the consciousness uh, with your professionalism, your heart, your wisdom. And there's not a day that I'm here that, that you don't come and give me a positive word about your thoughts about the church or, or who I am. And I, I just so appreciate that. I appreciate who you are as a man, as a father, as a teacher, speaker, etc. You're just an amazing dude. <laughs> Does that feel good? It feels good to honor individuals. And it doesn't take much time to let people know how we really feel. Because we, ha- we have to make a decision in our lives. What comes first? People or my to-do list? I love a story that the astrophysicist Neil deGrasse Tyson tells. 
about being in high school and applying for colleges and uh, going, going to potentially Cornell, uh, where the great Carl Sagan was. Carl Sagan was his hero uh, and uh, a hero scientist for to a lot of us younger folks growing up watching his show Cosmos. And he was like the first cool scientist. He'd say stuff like, if you want to uh, make an apple pie from scratch, you must first create the universe. <laughs> and unbeknownst to Tyson, his application to Cornell got passed on to Sagan. And Sagan reached out and contacted him. Carl Sagan then sent me a letter, hand-signed, saying, I understand you're considering Cornell. If you come by and visit, I'd be happy to show you the lab. And I said, is this Carl Sagan? I showed it to mom, dad. I said, could this be? And it was. I wrote back and I said, yeah, I'll go up in two weekends. And he did. It was a snowy wintry day, and Sagan came and picked him up from the bus station, took him to Cornell, uh, showed him his laboratory, gave him a personalized book, took him back to the bus stop, and said, you know, if it's snowing too much and the bus doesn't come, I'm going to write down my, my number. You call me. You come and stay with me and my family tonight. And it changed Tyson's life forever. He shared, I thought to myself, who am I? I'm just some high school kid. And to this day, to this day, I have this duty to respond to students who are inquiring about the universe as a career path, to respond to them in the way that Carl Sagan had responded to me. Can you think of the folks, perhaps a father or a father figure that saw that truth of you? Are you paying it forward? Are we seeing the good in people and nurturing it with our time? Did I intentionally care for others? The next for me is, was I really present and did I really listen? I like to think it's the thing I'm best at in the area in my life where I need most to grow. Because when you're living a to-do list life, you fall under the illusion that what you have to do is more important than the person in front of you. And it isn't true. I have to admit, even as a minister, where caring for people is in the job description. There are times where someone's trying to talk to me and I'm too busy thinking about the budget meeting that I need to get to. There's times that I'm talking with someone and instead of fully listening to them, I'm thinking about what it is that I think I need to say on on stage. And I'm I'm a little ashamed of that, but I'm getting better and better at it because there's nothing more important. doesn't matter if it's in ministry, postal office work, bartending, wherever it is to living a spiritual life than recognizing there's no more important person in that moment than the person in front of you. It doesn't mean you can't have boundaries. It doesn't mean you can't say, hey, I really want to listen to you right now and be present, but I've got to go to A and B or whatever it may be. But there's something about that ability to be present and to listen that's so incredibly important. Did I do my best to choose compassion and forgive? Notice I said, do my best (laughs) to have compassion and forgive. Do we have any no regrets people here? I have no regrets. (laughs) I love something uh, Ray Davies from the Kinks once said. Someone asked him, if you had to live your life over again, what would you change? And he said, I'd change everything, every little thing. And when it comes to choices that I've made in my life, I don't have any regrets. I'm so 
grateful for all the choices that I've made because they led me where I am today. But when I, I think of my behavior, there are regrets that I have. Times where I was being a jerk. Times where I was grumpy. Times where I thought what was going on with me was more important than what was going on with somebody else. Times where subjectively I had such low self-esteem that I may make a comment that would push someone else down to lift myself up. I'm not proud of those. But you know what I've never regretted? Being kind. I've never regretted being kind to anybody. I've never regretted being compassionate. I've never regretted forgiving someone, even if in in a way they they took advantage of that. I've never regretted living and standing and embodying my virtues and practicing them with clarity and conviction in my life. And I know when I haven't checked that box that I've got some work to do to practice that love, to practice that compassion, to practice that kindness, realizing that kindness, too, can have boundaries. I can have guidelines for how to share sacred space. Yet I've never regretted it, and I'm always doing my best to be compassionate and forgiving. Did I have a moment of awe? Gotta have a moment of awe. Every day, have a moment of awe. And for me, you know what it means when I haven't had a moment of awe? It's because I've fallen under the illusion that life is how I think it is and missed out on experiencing it as it really is. It means that I've gotten so caught up in my reality tunnel that I've forgotten that I don't live in my universe. I live in God's universe. I live surrounded by an infinite expression of life all around me that can be experienced in just a single moment through a single individual, through a single act of nature. Did I have my moment of awe today? I love how Betty Smith put it in her classic book, A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. She said, look at everything as though you were seeing it for the first time or the last time. Then your time on earth will be filled with glory. And the truth is, talking about time in a bottle, when you see something as if you were seeing it for the first or the last time, you're having one of those eternal moments. Yes, the time will pass by and things will change, but when you see something as it really is in that moment, you capture it in eternity, like a spiritual fisherman or fisherwoman. You've caught it, and the divine rejoices in you. When you have a moment of awe, not only do you take a step closer to God, but God reveals that presence of divine knowing, of divine aha, of divine epiphany in and as you. Was I grateful? So important to me that I don't let a day pass by without gratitude. For me to not express gratitude within myself is to, in a sense, disgrace my soul, to not truly honor it. How many people here have a gratitude list that they make, keep a gratitude journal? I have a tough time with it. I'm a little cynical, so for every time I write something I'm grateful for, I can't help but think of something I'm not grateful for, (laughs) but I'm working on it. I have a a friend in California. Her name is uh, Dr. Kelly Webb, and 
she was in an automobile accident and throughout her recovery, she would talk with her brother every night and he would challenge her each night to say 50 things she was grateful for over the phone and she couldn't repeat them the next day. And she said it so helped in her healing and recovery because she had to pay attention throughout the day and think about things that she was grateful for. See, there's something about gratitude that gives us a whole perspective on our lives. I'm not grateful for every little thing in my life, but I'm grateful for the whole of my life. I may not be grateful in a piece of my experience, but when I put it all together, I know how blessed I am. I know how grateful I am. Thank you, God. Check. Lastly, did I have fun? Did I have fun? So important. I love something that Norman Lear, the great television producer, said. He said, when we laugh together, we are one. Ain't that the truth? When we laugh together, we are one. And I would say that, that next to love, there's perhaps nothing else like laughter that can help us transcend an experience of fear or pain or hurt or grief. It doesn't get rid of that part of the experience, but it helps us to see that I am more than just this experience. When the soul rejoices with another and knows, oh, I don't see everything that's going on here in my life, but I know the truth's there somewhere. Laughter can help lead us to that. One of my favorite things to do with my son Gavin is have fun. It's play. I'm so grateful that he did the reading for us here this morning. Talk about an eternal moment to give thanks for him. Yeah. But, uh, a few, few weeks ago, uh, we got to go to, to California. My wife graduated college, and so we got a, fr- a free few hours to go to our favorite theme park, Knott's Berry Farm. And I love every part of that theme park except this one thing that strikes terror in my heart. It's called the Accelerator. Look at this massive roller coaster. And... and uh, you know, I love roller coasters, but what gets me, you know, is the, the anticipation, right? Swing me around all over the place, but make me wait for it. Ah. And it isn't life like that. The suffering is in the waiting. And so we're in line for this ride, and Gavin isn't as terrified as I am, but I can tell he's got that an anticipation too. And, and we're sitting there and we, you, you get on this ride and it holds you there before it shoots you uh, seemingly into outer space, feeling like you're in zero gravity and all the way around. And I want anything but to go on this ride. <laughs> get me out of here. And especially when you're with a younger person and you're scared and they're smiling, it's something else. <laughs> but you're there and you're terrified, and the thing takes off, and before you know it, you're laughing uncontrollably. 60 seconds ago, I wanted to do nothing but get off the ride. 60 seconds later, I'm saying, let's go on again. And I'd like to think that life is like that, too. There is that time that we have to be in the unknown. There is that time that we have to be in some uncertainty. And it's not always an easy place to be. But if we're willing to have fun, if we're willing 
to laugh, if we're willing to trust that our soul knows where it's going, if we're willing to follow along, before we know it, we're rejoicing and we're saying to ourselves, let's go on again. Let's go on again. Honor your to-do list, but don't let it become what's most sacred and important in your life. Honor your own soul. Honor the people that you love. Remember what matters most to you and live from and for it and trust that the rest will take care of itself. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church Podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.